Hello and welcome back to Season 2 of the Faith in Development podcast brought to you by Tear Fund. I am Sabine Hunsi, your host for this conversation. Today's episode will feature an incredible woman, the Reverend Martha Chigozie. Martha is based in Sierra Leone and has been an advocate for women and girls for over 20 years. And her particular focus has been around the issue of female genital mutilation or cutting, or what we also know as FGMC. She also leads an organization called TEDWOGA, which stands for Thorough Empowerment, Education and Development for Women and Girls in Africa. In this episode, we talk about her work, some of the challenges she faces and the change she hopes to see for the future of women and girls. I hope you enjoy the conversation. So good morning. Good morning, Martha. How are you? I am doing very well. Thank you so much, Sabine. How are you doing? I'm, I'm doing really well, thank you. Um, so thank you so much for being available to just have this conversation with me. Uh, and, uh, and you have been such a great ally and friend to us here at Tear Fund um, for the past few years, uh, especially as we you know, started our response to female genital mutilation or cutting. So it's a great privilege to be in conversation with you. So as a way of introduction uh, for our audience, please, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and background and what you do? Okay, I am Reverend Martha Priscilla Benga Chilozi. I am, um, what would I say, of course, a Ceylonian, um, married to Nigerian. So that's why you hear Chilozi there. I'm a typical Ceylonian woman. <laughs> and uh, I have been into a lot of work with women, children, especially when you talk about issues around GBV and uh, domestic violence, and of course, uh, leadership and women in economic environment. More so, I also work with the churches and I do interfaith work for close to 30 years now. Mm. Besides, um, with work with um, Tearphone, of course, there's a lot we've been doing, not few years, it's close over 10 years. <laughs> it's over 10 years, <laughs> yes. But you also lead an organization, right? I lead an organization, and that organization actually is over 20 years. And also, uh, I am a pastor, by his grace, I'm leading a church. Mm, great. I'm a founder, by his grace. Mm. Yes. So as you were saying, so you have been really like an advocate for women and girls for many years. So can you share with us why you have been doing this work and uh, and also how you came to be part of that work, how you started this work. Maybe I can start with how mm. uh, before I go to why and um, those that I work with. The how was like many, many years ago, I have uh, witnessed, experienced myself as well as I have um, engaged and uh, mediated between a lot of homes, families, starting from different angles. Of course, I told you I'm part of uh, ministry work, I'm part of also 
um, the women's um, coalition and also part of interfaith. So there's so much coming in at a very tender age, seeing within the communities. And do you know one thing I just start thinking? When I was a very small little girl growing up, I used to defend people. I don't know that I'll be doing this now. I used to mm. defend people by making sure that uh, if something is happening, I don't even know them. I still go to the teacher, teacher, this is this person is sleeping or this person is sick or this person is crying, this person collected this person. So they said, oh, thank you very much. So again, I used to share the little lunch I have, you know, to care, to show care. You know, so these two things are vividly, in fact, it was my principal who reminded me, say, from when you are a child, I realize you're a great defender and you're a giver and you have grown up to be like this. So but actually it was really not, it did not click until now. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking of how. And then what I saw within our communities, you know, how women and children, you know, are being abused, marginalized, discriminated, talked down upon, you know, used for various things and abandoned at the end. I was thinking that, wow, so is it, well, for me, when I was growing up, I was thinking that maybe this is how they appreciate the people by just say, okay, we finished with you, we are done. We can use it when we want, just like a cloth, you know, you use the cloth and when it is that you throw it into the machine and then get it clean and use again. And then when I was a teenager, I was now lied upon by some of my elders in a way that my mother was sick and she was admitted somewhere and I need to go, you know, women and their mother, girls. So I said, okay, teenager, I finished school early and I was like in an in-service call. So I said, okay, after our training program, I will take three days out to come. I went to see my mother, but I did not meet her in the house. She was somewhere, somewhere, somewhere in the one community. And I said, why? Where somebody is sick, where do you take the person? I, I know it's a hospital. They say, no, this is a special form of sickness. You need to come to where she is. Not knowing that they were taking me to the bush where they do initiation. So I bought medicine, I bought things, I bought just uh, provisions to bring to my mother. So I went there. And before I entered that place, everybody just surrounded me and they were shouting and dancing. And I said, where's my mother? Before I asked, I was, I don't know where I was again after days, ah, my sister, when I got, God helped me to get out of that place. I told my mother, I said, I will tell the whole world. She thought I was joking. I said, I will tell the whole world about what happened to me here, that you people tricked me, brought me here, that you were sick, you connived with the people, because this is now I am remembering the words, connive, because before those days, I don't know what words I should use. You have to because I was just using the words I know, you know, to come you to, to, to now bring me to this kind of degrading treatment. Because this is a degrading, for you in the community, you think this is a very laudable thing. But for me, what I went through, mm. it was too much. Mm. So she thought I was, oh, no, don't say it. You know, if you say it, there are some kind of things that will happen, this and that and that. I said, okay, mm. because of that, there was somebody who was passing by, you know, was trying to encourage us to, you know, so me, I was a church person. So I said, okay, I'll continue to go. But then I got more committed to church, more committed to the things of God. I started learning more. And I said, okay, one thing I need from God is I need God's protection to stand mm -hmm. for what I believe. 
And why I said that? Because I wanted to make sure I exposed this thing. Mm. And I told people, and I told my mother, I'm going to start with my younger sister. So mm. that is how. Mm. And the why actually is because I really hated what I saw happening to people, whether from the FGM perspective or go taking people to, 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 to just do what they think they call it culture, custom or tradition. Mm. And also the way society takes women, takes children, you know, and how they just use and dump. So all of this was played in my mind. And I said, no, then I need to make sure I do something. And that's the why mm. I am not into what I am now. Wow. Well, thank you so much for sharing that, uh, Martha. I, I think as, uh, as someone who has uh, witnessed you doing the work in the community and your advocacy, uh, I can really uh, see where all that passion came from and the reason why you have... Uh, you have been doing what you are um, you, you are doing. Um, so maybe if we we focus on the issue of female genital mutilation um, or cutting uh, or FGMC, which is a really contentious um, and difficult issue to talk about. I mean, we know that uh, this practice happens in over thirty countries worldwide, and it is um, there's an estimation of about two hundred million women and girls who are between the ages of 15 and 49 today and who are living with the consequences of female genital mutilation or cutting. And as we were exploring for our STIA fund, as we were exploring um, you know, what our response to such an issue as part of our wider sexual gender-based violence work, um, so we started in Sierra Leone and uh, you were uh, uh, quite an ally there um, in this work because you have been doing this work for quite some time. So can you tell us a little bit um, about this issue uh, in the context of Sierra Leone? And so maybe explaining what initiation is and just tell us a little bit about what is the context um, of FGMC? Thank you very much, Sabine. Um, for us here in Sierra Leone, it's something complex. <laughs> it is really, um, what will I say? It's only grace and the mercy that is keeping some of us alive every day. Because I can remember when we had a journalist that actually was dragged into the bush and was, they just did what they want to do to her. And after she was released, she did not take too long and she died. Mm -hmm. Some of these things are so complex that even to get a hundred or fifty percent support from the government in our country, we have not been able, except where they are trying to say age of consent, which is zero to 18. That shows how complex the issue is. So that is a, a strategy from their end, which is for now the only thing we can lay hands upon to say, okay, we can start with this. But also where I, I also come in to say, even if the person is 100 years old, if she refuses, she doesn't want to be part, she should not be, mm. you know? So it's, it, it, it's so complex that we get, you know, my sister, it's a pity that when we have people who are educated and both in country or out of country, telling you that is our culture mm. educated people elites well-renowned people in society 
we tell you that is our culture. And they try to compare culture across um, uh, the, the, the world that even in the US, the UK, the this and the that, they start counting some stuff that they too are involved in so many things as their culture. But I, I, I tend to tell people culture is something, yes, you look at, and you look at the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I think if something is not helping society or helping even the people you are trying to push into, because there, there is nothing like people are willing to. Either you are forced to do it, or your people coerce you to do it, just like what my mother did that she lied and tricked me into, like she's sick and she was admitted somewhere. And at the end, I was trapped, you know? Mm. So I got annoyed when I came out and I said, no. So this is so complex in our country that um, sometimes again, there are other people or other things that say, oh, stop the, the cutting and keep the drums. That's another difficult, um, what will I say? It's so, you cannot be able to keep the drums and you think nothing is happening behind the drums. Mm. You know what is keeping the drums? When you get into the bush, they beat the drums, they sing and they shout aloud, meaning that to overpower whatever sound that the victim might be going through that nobody will know and nobody will hear. So keeping that drum and in that bush mm. is not telling you that that victim is free. Mm. It is not. So it's a matter of bringing people out completely of such. It's nothing like anything. To, we have a lot of traditional things that we can use to do if we want to really. We have clothes. We have songs. We have beats. We have food stuff. We can do exhibition of all those kind of stuff that we call tradition, custom. We can tell stories of what our great-great-grandparents used to. So there are, the, there are places and things that we can do that can just balance this issue of tradition and culture. Because who are these people trying to talk for the men? Is it to satisfy them alone? Is it for their own protection and to the disadvantage of the female when from the time you have been taken into that bush and you've been caught and then you come out, you suffer it till you go to your grave? It's complex. Mm. So I, I know what I'm talking. Yeah. So if maybe we go back a bit. So first of all, why do people do it? Um, so what are the key drivers in, in Sierra Leone? One thing they used to say, which I don't really want to buy into, maybe it might be their own opinion because everybody have a right to their opinion. It's a world of freedom. You know, the freedom is so much that people now misbehave sometimes using the name of freedom. They say poverty, that is one. And two, they say it's culture. And then three, they say it's um, giving them what they call for them, it's a, a way to be known, to be to be known as somebody that is powerful, influential, you know, and that the politicians can go and make use of their of their of their service, you know, in the name of saying, oh, we are coming to pay for so much women or girls, you know, to you, and that will give you money into your pocket, but also add power to you and make sure that we get the people to our side. So these are some of the drivers, you know, and then the reason why they do it, as I was saying, is uh, making them to say, okay, I belong mm -hmm. for the community. I belong. You do not belong. So don't say what you don't know. Mm -hmm. I belong. 
So these are the issues I ask that people are, sometimes they bubble to just answer me. Sometimes they try to share away to say, oh, this is our culture. Oh, you cannot just go and tell. But we know the entry points. You don't just go in the bush and then, I mean, whether in the provinces or the rural setting and start saying, oh, don't, don't cut. Oh, we have our entry points. We know mm. how the methods, the areas, what we do and how we, and how we engage people. But when they're asking me on the media, you know, because it's not any more secret anyway. So this is one thing I tell people, it's no more secret. So what you're doing is being out there. It's just making that people are trying to be desperately wicked. And it's it's part of the, the, the Child Rights Act that, okay, this is telling you that the child will now give consent. But there are other things that the child doesn't give consent that you will fully, forcefully take the child into early marriage. The child does not give you consent for that. You take them into it. Teenage, of course, when you got married early, you, you become teenage, I mean, mothers or child mothers. And before you know, again, the child does not ask you to be um, circumcised, taken into a female genital mutilation. You now force the child to go there or because one thing or the other. So that is not a consent. You have not given consent. Nobody gave you consent. You did it because this mm. is what you believe. Mm. And that is what you believe. Yeah. But you did it is something that you have grown up so you want to pass it on to your generations you know mm -hmm. and then you have other people who actually are elite as i told you earlier they believe that yes it is our culture mm -hmm. and i ask them what have you gained in making sure is it when you get this is it a certificate that that will earn you a job when you get this you, you tell me because some of you sometimes i i i, I start thinking where it is coming from. It's not about me talking about Western culture or no Western culture. For me, as a faith person, God himself who made us did not ask anyone mm -hmm. to do that to anybody mm -hmm. as a That's faith right. person. And even in mm -hmm. the Quran or in the Bible or mm -hmm. anywhere, I am working with faith. I work with, I work with even Rasta. I work mm -hmm. with all faith of people. Mm -hmm. Nobody, there's nowhere in the Bible or in the Quran that it says, go and do this. So mm. where is it coming from? Ego, pride, mm. selfishness, greed, mm. and thirst for power. Yeah. And and I guess exactly. And I guess the you know the 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 lack of value that we place on the lives of uh, women and girls, and you know that kind of inequality that you can control. Because I know in some uh, context, the reason the driving. Um, the drivers for these practices that uh, we want to prevent. They said that the community said we want to prevent, uh, you know, women and girls being promiscuous uh, because, you know, if we cut that part of the genitalia, then they will not, uh, you know, husbands will said that our wives will not be, uh, you know, unfaithful. So we want to stop uh, promiscuity. Uh, and I also know that uh, for a lot of parents, they do this because it is a social norm. Everyone is doing it. And it's a rite of passage. If I don't do this, if my daughter's is not um, uh, cut, she might not be able to serve the elders. She might not be able to um, to to get married because you know if you being cut means that you are a good girl. You know all those kind of social norms that are attached to it. So you talked about. So that's another another context. So you talked about um, the bush. So for our audiences, um, they might not necessarily understand what it is, but I know that in, um, in Sierra Leone, you call it initiation. So as a young girl, you get initiated into um, a secret society. 
uh, and as part of uh, getting into secret society, I guess, of womanhood, then you go through the practice of female genital mutilation to kind of initiate you. And I think you've touched a bit on it as well when you said that it's about belonging, because, you know, as you grow up, you know, it's sisterhood, um, women, uh, you'll be able maybe to get even references, you know, it's that kind of um, thing. But I guess the fundamental thing and what you're talking about is that it actually it's detrimental to women's um, health, uh, I guess, to your um, own. Yes. So your health, physical health, mental health, you know, uh, your overall well-being and the fact that uh, I suppose the there is lack of political will or even politicians use it as a way of um, gaining votes is really worrying. You've said it all, Sabine. It takes God and people who actually have mean business with God to say no. And again, it also takes those that are in parliament who actually are, if they are having God in their spirit, man, you know, to be able to say no to this. Because there are things that people say is good, but is it really good? Why do you continue to do what you're doing? So in the bush, it's taking them. What I mean by in the bush, there's a certain place where they take people. Mm. It's not in your house. Even though I know and I've, I, have, I have come to know because when I do, I'm trying to do some other uh, global research, you know, I am learning that people are doing things in the, they are even doing it in the hospitals, you know, uh, going into to the clinics, you know, trying to make it, um, what they call it? try to um, make it more, make it more, what, what they call it, help. Medi uh, it's medicalization, really. Medi of, uh, thank you, my sister. Mm -hmm. You know, so in whatever way you do this thing, it's not helping. Whether you go use, uh, you do it in the hospital, what are you doing that in the hospital for? What they do in the hospital in some places across the globe is what I am talking about that goes on in the bush. And several mm. other things that they call tradition goes on in the bush, right? Mm. Not only the cutting, there are several other things. But mm. the cutting is the major thing, you know, and followed by several other things, right? Mm. So what really, why cutting? Why do you want to cut? Mm. So coming back to my faith as a person that is a person of faith, I grew up knowing that this is not correct. And when I learned from my word and from when I, I, I became more committed to serve God and I realized that and I searched the scripture and I also engaged other, other faith and they, I realized it was not correct. I had to stand up to say this. Mm. I will be a strong, not even a strong advocate, a very big advocate against this. Mm. I will stand against this till I meet my God because it is really degrading in human. It is a human rights issue. Yes. Because nobody asks anybody to cut anybody's part. Mm. So when you're talking about human rights, human rights, these are all the human rights issues that they have to look into. And mm. also it's, it's a God blessing. God blessed you with this and you are deprived the person from that God-given blessing. You just take mm. away their womanhood. You are mm. taking away their, 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 their even urge. They are mm. all, they are, they are, they are everything as a woman, a full-grown woman. So yeah. when you are having said it's it's like you are you are going on that and another forceful pain. Yes. So that's why you see a lot of homes breaking. Mm. They hope 
this woman doesn't want to, to have sex with me and I'll go to another person. So again, homes are broken because some of these men say, oh, and it is the same men that say you should go and get caught mm. because they want to, to feel, um, they want to own you, own your whole body, own your, own your thoughts, own your feelings as well. Mm. Ah, what, what, what kind of um, inhuman treatment, degrading treatment is that? Mm. It is so, so inhuman that when I, anytime I sit thinking, I feel afresh when I start talking about this, I feel afresh as if I've been taken again because yes. it is really, really uh, brutal, yes. if I can use the word. Mm. It's like a real, it, it's not correct mm. and we should not continue to do what is not correct. Mm. The mm. laws of, of, of have to be enacted to prevent women from this disaster. Mm. It's not just enacting law to make sure oh we we we, we have a law that says a um, um, public and um, other act passed into law or many other laws that are not even helping anybody much. It's about power. So why don't you pass what is beneficial to women and children in the land? Mm. Because these are the huge amount of people. Right? So who will have to help us with this? Only the politicians who have all their work committee members, who have all their people in the ground when they want to get votes. They are mm. the same that we have to help to make sure this thing comes to a halt. So let's maybe shift a little bit. Um, so you are obviously a female faith leader. Um, you're a pastor. Uh, what do you mm. think are the opportunities to address this issue from a faith perspective? I mean, you've touched a little bit on that, but can you maybe elaborate um, a bit more? Okay, so using the faith leaders, both from the Muslim and the Christians and those from the Rastafarians and other faith, because, you know, it's not just, we are not just Muslim and Christian, we have other faiths, yeah. you know. They are the people who stand in front of their people whether they call them congregation, they call them members, they call them whatever name that they call them in their centers of worship. Hmm. So when you are able to educate them properly and they themselves go down looking, especially for some of them, yes, but not all of them are aware. So we, those who have the understanding will now have to help those. So when they are well aware and they are able to now say, oh, this is it. I am telling you, it will also help to make sure we minimize. Because the, the, the thing is, the faith leaders, they themselves have a huge platform across onto the last village. You must see a mosque or a, a church or something that they say, oh, we are going to go to pray. So, and they have followers. So when they are aware and they know the good, the bad, and the ugly, they'll be able to also reach out to their, to their congregations as well as the parents and these husbands and the traditional people, as well as the politicians, to say this is not good. We need to stop it. Mm. We need to stop it. It's 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 gradual, but also it's it's um, conscious effort, constant conscious effort. The word constant conscious effort is what we have to do. Mm. So, but they have a big role to play as faith leaders because people listen to them. They have been respected. They they trust them. You know, so when I sit in the national platform, whether it's a national issue that I sit to discuss, the moment they see me, they say, oh, no, that woman, we know how what she's standing for. She stands for women's empowerment. She stands for, for the vulnerable. She speaks on behalf of the voiceless. So it is like when you empower somebody, then the person goes there to stand. 
And then I tell them that I'm not going to be the only one standing. So what I've been doing all over the years, I have been trying to reproduce my kind mm. in all of this. Because it will reach a time, you know, uh, when we get old, you know, that's why you know, <laughs> yeah. it will reach, when I mean old, you know, you are not able to move faster than you are supposed to, that you used to be. You're not able to go to maybe a three, four district in one day, you know, mm. or maybe you are not, you, you don't have the strength Again, you still mm. have the voice, but you don't have the strength to go to the scenes because when things happen, I move. Yeah. And for example, I go there, I go to the scene, especially the places where I work. I have, we have that's why we say we multiply ourselves. So uh, there is a way to network to send the information to gather it and also to inform them about the, the different kinds of laws and make go there to make it simple for them to understand and then to cascade it to their own village people. Mm. So <laughs> that's one way that the faith leaders can do when you multiply because in the in the mosque on the churches or other faiths they have people that they train mm. so we train them also to say not just going to talk about the things that god doesn't like of course all of these is things that god doesn't like but also be an advocate add that to your to your messages add that mm. to your add that to your to your quranic uh, verses that you are giving Every opportunity, whatever opportunity we have to speak out and say what is not correct, to be able to help the next person. Because yeah. human security is a paramount issue. When your brain is not working properly, your, your mind, your spirit, your emotion is not working properly because of what you've gone through, you will not be productive, Sabine. Mm. You will not. You mm. will just have that things. And then that's why you see a lot of improductive work in some offices because mm. they are going through when that thing comes, the trauma comes to the head. They start, you understand? It's like a shock. So mm -hmm. they, they start going back to say, oh, so it is good that we tried. What we also do is to do a lot of counseling and trauma healing programs. Mm -hmm. it, it, it's a huge job. It's a huge job. It is. It really is. It is a huge job. Yes. And some jobs, it's not something you do without getting resources. Sometimes yeah. I do, and I take even what I have in my own pocket mm -hmm. as my own. So as a, as a founder of a woman-led organization, what are the challenges that you face in your work? So well, what I will say, um, the opportunities are so, um, the human resource, the connections of all the networks, that is our strength. Hmm. And that is willing hearts that are ready across the country to really work, you know, when there is the resources. You know, because doing it and also people who have the idea, they are already, they've been empowered, they know the good, the bad, and the ugly, they have the, the knowledge. That's another strength. You don't have to gain, go, it's just like trying to make sure those knowledge are being implemented to other people in other communities. Mm -hmm. And then the the other strength is um, we, 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 of course, we have God. God is our strength. That is another opportunity because his word is keeping us every day, you know. And of course, the other people within the other faiths, they too believe, of course, they know that uh, when you try to tell them this is what God doesn't want and this is what God wants, definitely they start to think it and work, work with it. You know, you leave it. It's not just to talk about it, but you leave it by practicalizing what you say. Mm. And the challenge is, of course, number one, the issues around uh, some of our leaders who are mixed matching things, you know, sometimes complicating some things. Sometimes they don't know entry points how to do. So when you start gaining gains, before you know, they mistakenly do things that now start you all over again, mm. you know. So it's like setback. But anyway, it's regrouping yourself to, to retreat 
I mean, to, 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 to make sure you are able to, 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 to continue. The other is the issue around uh, the, 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 the political power, mm. uh, willpower. That means like for some of our work we are doing, we really need a stronger um, um, law to help address this thing. So that's a huge challenge, but we are trusting God that we started with the age of consent, which is good. So we are trusting God that it's not just the age of consent, we need to pass it in parliament to make it an act. You know, mm-hmm. it's not just going to, because there's no much big law yet that has been addressing that. And mm-hmm. then the other issue is the issue around, the, of course, the resistance from some men and women in communities when you go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The resistance, you know, they will resist you as if you are coming from some other place. You are not in, you are not a Ceredonian. I tell people, forget about the last name. My name, I am a villager. I came, I told them, in fact, the other thing is by way of the language. So what I am doing now, I'm trying to, to learn most of our basic languages around. So I mean dialects, so that when I go, I try to let them know I am your sister, I am your 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 friend, I am your 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 auntie, I am from the, the same soil. So be not afraid. And maybe the, the, the opportunity I will also want to, I mean the, the other challenge is the, the issue of the, the resources. You know, we will try to empower because what I, I look at now is when you have potential people in countries, what we do, empower them because it will give less burden, less resources to be, you know, empower them in a way that whether you are there or not, things go on. So what I'm doing is to see how I'll be empowering our local community women, you know, that's a challenge. How do I empower them? It's not just with the information, but also with resources. Maybe even this little phone that to send me reports is an issue. You know, it's an issue. So empowerment of these women is another huge challenge for me. But I'm trusting God and I'm believing God that um, we will get there. It's bit by bit, but sometimes it's really difficult because for now that there's a lot of problem in crisis of, uh, of price in everything, the thing becomes more cumbersome. Mm. Even with funding, before I'm sure all of you used to get a big basket of funding, but now it's like... <laughs> Is is draining. So if it is dwindling down, then we need to know that we have enough people down that they'll be able to hold on the fort, whether um, under rain or shine, we are able. So I am appealing. That this is I'm ending this with an appeal. Please, all of you that are listening to me all over the world, wherever this will be, be, be broadcast, kindly see how you support us in Sierra Leone mm. and especially supporting tier form to be able to help us that are doing the work on ground. God bless everybody. And it's a pleasure talking with you today. Thank and you. Maybe- so to, to, to just maybe, yeah, to conclude really our conversation. So as you've, you've, you, you, you've said, and you know, you've been working on these issues, especially FGMC for over 20 years. So what does change look like for you? And are you hopeful that the practice can come to an end? First change, awareness. Mm. A lot of people have been aware and they can be talking about it now openly. The second change is we have got people who say, I will never, from Mm. families, I will never allow my girl child to go through. That is at least some amount of reduction on the the population to say this amount of people say they will never. Mm. And it's change that I see that we are getting more people to come on board, you know, to, to, to join us the fight because one man cannot do this. You know, we all working together, including all of you, you know, global connection, local connection and the yeah. village connections. 
So that is another um, change I think we are seeing getting more people on board to come and join us to do this work. And maybe the, the final thing I would love to say, uh, of course, we, uh, we, we are happy that we get a, a, a strategy from the government to say from zero because it was not there before. It was never. So if they say zero to 18, and then the paramount shifts for seven villages have agreed since two years or three years back, which has never been. So it is happening gradually. Mm. We will get there by the grace of God. So these are some of the changes, and maybe many more because of time. I sure. think I just say thank you so much, Salim. Wow. Reverend Martha, thank you so much for speaking with me today. And I'm really grateful for this time and really look forward to doing more things together. Uh, you know, you are our friend, our ally, um, and uh, it's just been great to have this conversation. Thank you so much. Thank you too. Thank you for listening. I hope you have enjoyed the conversation. Please join us again next time. And if you want to know more about our work or catch up on the previous episodes of the Faith in Development podcast, please visit learn.tfund.org. See you next time.